we've just uh, celebrated Thanksgiving a few days ago, and and while many people think of Christmas before Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving is kind of the time here in the United States where we really turn our attention. That right after Thanksgiving, uh, it's Christmas, and and the season of Advent has started in in many churches, and and so we do look forward to. It. We're going to turn from Jesus's teaching that he's been giving his disciples to a prayer that he prays that takes up the bulk of chapter 17. And it actually fits quite well with getting ready for Christmas and, and what it's all about. And it's in here in, in Jesus's prayer that we will look at. Now, this prayer, as, as we get started with it today, just the very beginning of it, it's not a freestanding prayer, and by that, I mean it's very much connected to what Jesus has been teaching his disciples, which has been very much connected to what the whole book of John is about. So there are some themes that will come back as Jesus prays uh, with the disciples, and, and uh, as John records the prayer here, uh, we will, as I mentioned, just begin with the, the very start of it. Uh, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great prayer of Jesus. And as we look at this prayer, we pray that you will, you will speak to our hearts, that we will be strengthened in your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was a, uh, a man, uh, his name was uh, David Christaeus, Christaeus, if I can get that right. He's got a whole bunch of vowels in his name. It's not his real last name. He, he changed it, actually, at one point. But he was born in 1530 uh, in Germany. And so he was a, a German Lutheran theologian and highly influenced by uh, Philip Melanchthon, who was uh, the guy that took over after Martin Luther uh, had passed on and and in fact, the, the Lutheran Church has a lot of uh, Melanchthon's theology in it. And, and David uh, Castraeus, he was uh, one of those highly influenced by Melanchthon. And, and just with his date of birth in 1530, you can see he's coming into the world as the, the Reformation is really getting started. Uh, Martin Luther had started that back in, in uh, the early 1500s. And, and so he's kind of entering in on that and and I bring him up because he was one of the first if not the first 
uh, theologian that we have on record as uh, calling this prayer that Jesus prays the high priestly prayer. And it's interesting that he gave it that name and that uh, so many people recognize this as the high priestly prayer because John never really specifically refers to Jesus as the high priest. In fact, that's why some scholars won't call it the high priestly prayer. They'll give it another name. But, but there are some allusions to Jesus being the high priest. And you can go elsewhere in scripture and clearly see Jesus is our uh, the high priest. And in Hebrews, it, it comes out very clear. But the reason uh, this gets its name, the high priestly prayer, is because of the structure of the prayer itself. Now, it's, it's in the pattern of, of the high priest when he would pray on the Day of Atonement. And that's back in Leviticus 16, and, and you can see that there. And, and that day, what would happen is the high priest, uh, it was the only day he could go into the Holy of Holies, and, and uh, he would make the sacrifice. First of all, he had the sacrifice for his own sins, and then the sins of, of all the people, and and he would sacrifice one goat, and, and the second goat would be the scapegoat that he would lay his hands on his head, and it was uh, uh, representative of laying all of Israel's sins on the head of this goat, then they'd lead it out into the wilderness, never to be seen again, and, and that was kind of the idea of, of the scapegoat. When God forgives you, the sins are gone and, and never to be seen again. Well, by Jesus' day, of course, this day of atonement had taken on... Um, uh, a lot of preparation, and and it, the high priest had a very structured uh, way of, of conducting the day. And actually, uh, the high priest would pull an all-nighter. He'd stay up all night, and there'd be guys there to make sure that, that he had to stay up all night. You know, they'd keep him awake, and, and he would pray through the night and, and do the ritual washing. And, and his prayer would, there were... Pray in almost a circle, uh, three circles, if you will. He would uh, kind of go round and round with these ideas. The, the first thing he would pray for is himself and his ministry. That would be his first prayer. And, 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 and then the, the second prayer would be this intercession for uh, the other priests, those around him, basically. And then the third circle of prayers would be for all of the people of God. And when we look at this prayer, that's really how this is structured. Uh, it's it's the structured after the way the high priest would pray on the Day of Atonement. The first uh, five verses here that we look at is Jesus praying for himself and his ministry. Then in verses 6 through 19, he's praying for his disciples, those who are with him. And then in verses 20 through 26, he's praying for all of those who will believe in him. And so we can kind of see this, this pattern and, and why it got called the high priestly prayer, even though John himself doesn't necessarily call it that. But Jesus is our high priest, and, and here he is at the end of his teaching the disciples, and he's going to pray this prayer before they go to the garden, and then Jesus will be arrested and then executed following that. But when Jesus had spoken these words, the, the lesson that he's been giving his disciples, 
he, he lifts his eyes to heaven and, and he says this prayer. And he prays, Father. It starts just as he had taught his disciples to pray, Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now, I want to start by focusing on that first word in verse 2, uh, since, is, is how uh, my translation has it. Since you have given him authority. It's the Greek word kathos, which could also mean, um, probably better mean, uh, just as, or according as, or, or uh, what I'm trying to get at is it's a hinge word. You have something on one side of it, and, and there's the hinge, and, and then it balances out something on the other. And what you'll notice at the end of verse 1 is there's actually two ideas there. Glorify your son is one idea, that the son may glorify you. There's the second idea. And then on the other side of the hinge, we also have two ideas. You have given him authority over all flesh, and then the second idea, to give eternal life to all whom you have given and it's to be read almost as though you could take the first phrase and at the end of verse 1 and then the first phrase at verse 2. So, uh, so glorify your son, then jump to verse 2. You have given him authority over all flesh, and that's from eternity past, by the way. And then the second phrase, that the son may glorify you, then jump to verse 2, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And so what we see when, when we notice the structure as, as Jesus prays this is we have this, these two ideas, glory and eternal life, and we see how they're kind of put together. In fact, I hope that's what we'll see as we go through this. And we'll start with the glory. We'll start with that idea of this glory. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Now Jesus has talked about glory throughout John in various places. In fact, in John uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 39, and, and uh, this was a while ago, uh, you might not remember, but, but the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, were actually seeking to kill him because he had made himself equal with God. They recognized, oh, Jesus, you just called yourself equal with the Father, and so uh, they were looking to kill him, uh, and as part of uh, what Jesus was answering is he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. They were prophesying about me, is what he's saying. Yet you refuse to come to me that you can have life. And then in verse 41 of chapter 5, I do not receive glory from people. And then a little bit in verse 44, Jesus also says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus was telling them basically, look, I'm not seeking your approval. I'm not looking for glory from man. I am looking to glorify God. That's why I'm here. And that's why the Father bears witness about me. And, and in John chapter 12, then, as we get a little closer to, uh, in fact, that's the chapter just before this upper room discourse starts, uh, Jesus can see uh, his death is right on the horizon. And in John 12, 27, uh, he says, Now my soul is troubled. 
And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus talks about this hour, and what he means by that is this hour of death, and then his resurrection. He says, glorify, glorify my name, and I have glorified it, and, and I will glorify it again. Or he said, glorify your name, I have glorified it, I will glorify it again. We, we can see that connection of, of what Jesus is doing, his purpose, and, and how that glorifies God. And Paul picks up on this idea a, a few places, actually. In, in Philippians uh, 2, uh, in verse 8, uh, Paul writes about how Jesus uh, came in human form, uh, how he humbled himself and, and was obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. And then in Philippians 2, 9, therefore, because of what Jesus did, how he humbled himself, how he died on the cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there's also that idea in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. It comes out very clearly as well. Jesus is coming into this world to glorify the Father by dying on a cross, by giving life to God's chosen. And, and this prayer, is, as well as uh, so much of Scripture, connects this idea of, of the glory of God and eternal life. And this, in verse 3, then says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And this is actually prophesied as well. This is part of the prophecy that, that God's people would know him. In Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, starting at verse 34, the prophet writes, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Uh, he also, uh, Jeremiah, in other places, talks about how uh, God put his spirit within us, that we may know him. Uh, the prophet Habakkuk, in chapter 2, verse 14 for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, as we lit the prophecy or hope candle, depending on what you want to call it, um, th this is part of the prophecy, that we know God. And, and we do because of what Christ has done. We know the eternal life we have in Christ, and this is eternal life, that you know the one true God. D.A. Carson writes this, eternal life turns on nothing more and nothing less than knowledge of the true God. 
eternal life is not so much everlasting life as personal knowledge of the everlasting one. And later on, Carson writes, this one true God has supremely revealed himself in the person of his Son. Knowledge of God cannot be divorced from knowledge of Jesus Christ. Indeed, knowledge of Jesus Christ is the ultimate access to the knowledge of God. To know Jesus is to know the true God. And to put an application on this knowledge of God, we can go to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, where it says, In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And that word in the Hebrew, acknowledge, is literally know. In all of your ways, know him. And he will make straight your paths. And this knowledge of God as Jesus prays this prayer, is not merely intellectual information, but it is belief. It's, it's clear, Jesus had made this clear throughout the book of John, and, and we see it throughout Scripture, that the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, entails faith and trust and obedience, and fellowship, and a personal relationship. Prayer, the knowledge of God, trusting Him in all things. And then Jesus ends this, this first part of the prayer in verse 5, as He prays for Himself and His ministry, he said, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus ends with this, this part of the prayer and praying for himself. Remember in Philippians, I mentioned chapter 2 where Jesus had humbled himself. And it's, it's throughout scripture as well how he took on this, this human form how he became obedient to the point of death. The prophets said what was going to happen to Jesus as he grew up. Uh, in Isaiah 53, uh, the prophet very vividly uh, describes how Jesus is despised and rejected by man, how he is oppressed and afflicted, and we esteemed him not. And he was beaten and spit upon. I mean, the, the prophet, they, they make it very clear what Jesus was coming into. And Jesus knows all of this. And he left the glory of heaven to humble himself and come in to this. And he knows this is in store, and it's why he prays for his ministry in this final hour. Because here's where it all comes together. Here's where he dies for God's people. That they may know God, be forgiven of their sins. He knows all of this is in store. And when we see what Jesus is praying here in light of Christmas, 
in, in light of the celebration of, of his birth, here's what we see with Jesus. He's come from glory. Left a place of unimaginable glory that he had with the Father before creation. And he comes on this mission to rescue his people from eternal death to eternal life. And we do know that he returns to the Father to share in heaven's glory. And that's all part of the wonder of, of Christmas, is how he came. As John wrote in his prologue, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1.14, he writes, and the Word became flesh. And that, that's not a temporary situation for Jesus. The Word became flesh and will remain so for eternity. When Jesus is glorified, he doesn't leave a dead body behind in a tomb and say, Whew, I'm glad I'm rid of that thing. I'm getting out of here. Rather, he leaves with a transformed, glorified body, which he returns to the Father, and he is the first fruit of all of creation, it says. And, and he opens the door of heaven for flesh, for humanity, that we can go and be with the Father as well. He goes before us on our behalf. Jesus came to earth, and God is glorified in what he does. And we are saved by what he does. And if we read this passage backwards, we can kind of see where... Uh, to know God is to glorify God. To know of our salvation in Christ is to glorify God. May we this Christmas season glorify God more fully than we ever have by knowing him more. Spending time in his word, time in prayer with him, knowing who he is, for that is eternal life. That glorifies the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you that we can give you glory, that your glory is our greatest joy, knowing you, knowing of our salvation in you, living with that hope, knowing that Christ has opened the door to heaven for us and will come to bring your people to you, Lord. And he did so by being born into this broken world and suffering a terrible death. But he did it all to glorify you. God be glorified. May our lives glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.